Let me start with something you wrote for Jacobin, a piece entitled Marx's America, which is also the title of your forthcoming book. So I'm quoting you now. To read Marx is to wrestle with the modern world that capitalism has made. This includes modern America, especially modern America, because the U.S. is the nation in world history most committed to capitalism, and because Marx is the world's most enduring theorist of capitalism, Marx is a veritable American alter ego. So let's start parsing this out chronologically as you do in your piece. You begin with Marx in the Civil War. Why and how does the German thinker fit into this period of American history? Yeah, good question. Um, my, I start with Marx both in that piece, but also more importantly in the book that I'm currently working on and his writings in the Civil War because he wrote so much about the Civil War and much of what he wrote was like really compelling. And in fact, um, I think there's a lot of good evidence that his close attention to the events of the American Civil War helped shape um, some of his most important thoughts that went into Capital, which was, of course, published in 1867, so just two years after the end of the Civil War. Um, he had written several long articles uh, for a Viennese newspaper called Die Press, um, early in the Civil War that sort of laid out the entire sort of logic, political logic of the Civil War for a European audience. Um, he, he kept up close correspondence with many of his close comrades who, in fact, lived in the United States, many of whom, so these were German 48ers who he had fought with in the revolutions of 1848 in Prussia, um, many of them had emigrated to the United States and were, in fact, uh, fighting with the Union. Some of them rose up through the ranks to, the, to uh, like, for example, be general. And so he had kept up correspondence with them. And so these letters um, really show Marx's close attention to the war and how he was thinking about the war in relation to slavery and capitalism and, and a you know, capitalistic labor system. He and Ingalls wrote tons and tons of letters about the war. Um, all of it's really interesting. All of it has been compiled in several collections, the most recent of which was edited by Andrew Zimmerman, Civil War in the United States. Um, and it really does point to some of Marx's analyses in Capital, especially what I consider one of the most interesting sections of Capital, and that is the chapter on the working day. Um, the fact that the slaves, the, the enslaved black Americans first and foremost were, um, were seeking their liberation. Obvious. I mean, it's obvious why they were to Marx and to most people now, but one of the things that they were seeking was just pure autonomy over their day, over their time, over their labor. And that was something that Capitalism also constricted for the working class, and so Marx paid very close attention to that and sort of connected these things. And in fact, argued that because there was this um, rapid movement for a shorter workday, both in the United States and Great Britain, soon after the Civil War, he sort of put these two things in conversation with one another um, and said that the working class had been paying close attention to chattel slavery as a as a pretty um, extreme restriction on labor and sort of considered themselves 
um, along the same spectrum. So Marx thought of the relationship between ownership and or capital and labor as on a spectrum. And obviously chattel slavery was sort of to the far side of repression, but labor in a capitalist system was not by no means free and so was still sort of on this spectrum of labor repression. Then during the Civil War, towards the end of the Civil War, Marx was um, a chief player in the organization of the Interna International Working Men's Association, the IWA, or what later became, became known simply as the First International. Um, and this was a pretty radical working class organization which had chapters in most European countries, the largest of which was in England, of course, Marx at the time was living in London, but there was also a chapter in the United States. And the International Working Men's Association um, officially wrote a letter, Marx wrote it, um, to Lincoln congratulating him on his re-election in 1864. It's a really sort of interesting, compelling interpretation of Lincoln as being sort of representative of the working class um, and so the International Working Men's Association, which was basically like a communist labor organization in the middle of the 19th century, considered Lincoln as like one of them as an ally. Um, it seems clear that Lincoln probably read the letter, but he had his um, his ambassador to England respond to the International Working Men's Association in kind of vague terms. You know, he, the, it was clear that the U.S. government was not necessarily interested in directly um, <laughs> forming an alliance with the IWA. Um, but that's, you know, that's a little interesting tidbit of uh, transatlantic history in the middle of the Civil War. You go on to draw a line between Marx's writings on slavery, capitalism in the Civil War, and the work of a prolific black American thinker, W.E.B. Du Bois specifically his landmark book, Black Reconstruction in America. So make that case for us. What are some of the apparent through lines? Yeah, so um, Marx, as I already mentioned, thought that with union victory and with the abolition of slavery, he thought that there, this would be a new era of the expansion of capitalism. But alongside that, he, would, he thought it would be a new era of working class consciousness. And he hoped that sort of radical politics that informed abolitionism and that ultimately informed the um, the abolition of slavery like and and then early on in in reconstruction radical reconstruction he hoped that this sort of political formation would continue and grow and ultimately liberate the working class as a whole um, Marx was um, you know the problem with slavery for Marx was both that it was morally repugnant but also and the, and he focused much more on this latter aspect of it um, it divided the working class such that um, no workers could really get leverage over capital and he thought that with the abolition of slavery working classes could come together across racial lines um, and gain much more power vis-a-vis -vis capital. Um, and so he looked keenly at Reconstruction early on, hoping that um, Reconstruction would re sort of liberate the working class in the South and black and white would come together. Um, and, you know, there's like hints at this happening at times that really encouraged him, but Marx actually grew pretty discouraged 
pretty early on thinking that was not going to be the case. He was paying close attention to the rise of terrorist organizations like the Ku Klux Klan and just sort of like gave up on the hopes of it and became a little bit despondent in the 1870s, much as he had been despondent throughout the 1850s when the revolutions of 1848 failed. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois, you know, most Americans, if they know about him, know of him as a sort of like the founder, found one of the founders of the NAACP, um, the first PhD from Harvard, uh, probably as the famous author of Souls of Black Folk. But unless you are a socialist or a historian, you probably don't know about what I consider far and away his best book, and that is Black Reconstruction in America, which he wrote. Um, it was published in 1935, and which um, at the time in which he was writing it and thinking about it, it's a huge book. It's a landmark book. I think it's one of the greatest books ever written by an American historian. At the time in which he was writing it, he was reading deeply in Marx and thinking, trying to really sort of grapple with history in Marxist terms. And he really does um, pick off, pick up where Marx left off um, and argues that ultimately, um, like the, the fact that black slaves, he calls the black slave um, sort of leaving the plantations and running across Union lines during the Civil War, he calls it a general strike. He compares it, in fact, to the Russian Revolution as one of the greatest uprisings of the proletariat in modern history, and also looks at parts of Reconstruction with a great deal, I mean, this is in retrospect for him, so he knows the outcome, but he looks at the promise of Reconstruction as like the promise of democracy. He doesn't use the words exactly, but he's really thinking in terms of socialism and has a sort of Marxist perspective on how the classes can come together. Obviously, that didn't happen, and so he he makes a whole case about why that didn't happen. Um, basically, Northern Capital uh, decided that they needed a, a sort of chastened labor force, black and white, and so they and so Northern Capital sort of gave up on Reconstruction, Du Bois argued, I think correctly, and history has sort of borne this out, and um, sort of accentuated racial division in the South, um, leading ultimately to Jim Crow. And Du Bois talks about the psychological wages of whiteness and how those were accentuated, how the, the elite planner class got together with northern industrials, industrialists to accentuate that for the, um, for the white working class, the poor whites in the South. And so, you know, it's, it's like the defeat of Reconstruction was not only really, really bad for black Southerners, but also really bad for the working class as a whole because it kind of stalled any kind of a social democracy. It's not only a great history book that I think sets the tone of a lot of historiography that comes later from the 1960s on, and that maybe culminates with Eric Foner's great book on Reconstruction, but it also is a great primary source of about like a radical intellectual in the context of the 1930s, thinking about a crisis of capitalism and thinking about what the working class can do about it. Moving away from specific datelines and historical figures, let's focus on broader concepts you associate with or view through the lens of Marx, American exceptionalism and freedom. Yeah, so um, 
American exceptionalism is a term that scholars have like disputed and with good reason, especially insofar as it um, it emerged um, with great force in the 1950s amongst liberal and conservative scholars, historians, political scientists um, to sort of categorize American history as apart from European history and in ways that like made American history in the United States political system superior, right? Um, and so it's obvious why leftist scholars beginning in the 60s really rejected that model of interpretation um, and wanted to look at, like, for example, class and other conflicts in American history that might be um, somewhat similar to what happens elsewhere in Europe and elsewhere. But Marx, and then many Marxists after him, actually sort of thought about the United States in exceptional terms. If we think about the word exceptional not as being better or great, but in terms of being different. And Marx and many Marxists following him um, looked at the development of American capitalism as being vastly different from the development of capitalism in Europe precisely because the United States did not have a feudal class to, to have to contend with. And so capitalism and the bourgeoisie was much more sort of powerful, much more supreme in the United States from the get-go. They would have categorized this as a sort of like form of American exceptionalism, and they all, but even even though Marx said that eventually um, capital would reign supreme over most of the globe, um, Marx also thought that one of the reasons why socialism was slow to develop in the United States. I mean, he went back and forth on this. At times, he was optimistic in the, about what was uh, developing in the United States. At times, he was pessimistic. But when he was pessimistic. He would argue it's because um, American development had these like safety valves like the frontier. And so he's Marx is I mean, that's one of the key sort of pieces of American exceptionalist thought going back to Frederick Jackson Turner writing about the frontier as the safety valve. But Marx wrote about it quite a bit, as did Hegel and other Europeans. Um, including Tocqueville. And so there was this sort of notion that the United States has a different history. Is it, and whether it's better or not, it just it was exceptional, it was different. And I think um I think it's worth pondering that because US history is indeed different than European history, even if there have been some sort of similarities and overlaps and even if we can't necessarily say US history is better in terms of exceptional, but it's different for sure. Very distinct. Um, and I'm still working this out. The book's not done, but I'm still working this out. And one of the things that seems to me that makes it um, interesting and important to pay attention to sort of Marx and what he thought about the United States, but also what Americans have thought about Marx and how they've interpreted Marx ever since Marx was alive, is that his theory of capitalism for Americans really tracks with them thinking about freedom. Now, obviously, many, many liberals and conservatives in the 20th century have categorized Marx as a philosopher of anti-freedom because they associated him with Soviet Union and modern communism and like the repression of uh, the types of civil liberties that we um, accentuate as being, you know, like American or that or, you know, liberal democracy. Um, but one thing Marx always focused on was the limitations of freedom in a capitalist society, whether it called itself democratic or not, because 
um, capitalism, you know, f- in order for most people in a capitalist society have to sell their labor in order to survive, which means that they have to sell a great chunk of their lives, a great chunk of their time. They have to essentially sell their bodies for a big chunk of time uh, and they give up their autonomy. So they don't have free, it, like most of us, when we're at work, are unfree. And so that was the main, you know, and in the United States, perhaps more than anywhere else, people have had to go to work for a great number of hours a week, great number of hours a day, etc. And so there's this like, at the core of Amer- of the American system, at the core of American capitalism is this thing that inhibits freedom and that Marx is always like trying to think of a way out. And Marxists, ever since Marx, have been sort of thinking about what it means to be free and how capitalism limits freedom. And Marx is like the key theorist in trying to think through that. So your book is set to publish this year. Where are you in the process? And what are some of the things that readers can look forward to? Well, um, that would have been the hope, but it's turning out to be um, a much like more ambitious endeavor than I even originally thought. So it's becoming a, quite a large book, and it's, you know, as you might imagine, a difficult, uh, lengthy process. Um, I'm probably about 80%. I have about 80% of the manuscript written. So, But, you know, the publishing process will be slow. It has to go through reviews, etc. So I, maybe in another two years, it'll be on bookshelves. I think, you know, like the story about Marx writing about the United States and corresponding with Lincoln, that's really interesting. The the story about how um, his thinking about the Civil War shaped his thoughts on capital, I think that's interesting. But in the sort of grand scheme of things, I think that not many people, even socialists, have thought about the entirety of American history since the middle of the 19th century through a lens in which Marx and Marxists have thought. Um, it just, it's, it's amazing when you go through the whole history, the whole through line, how much Marx comes up. Like, for example, in the um, 18, 1940s and 1950s, there's this sort of rush of liberal thought to define an American political tradition. And they're writing this in the context of the aftermath of World War II and the rise of fascism, but more importantly, in the immediate context of the Cold War, and they're trying to distinguish the American political tradition from Marxism, from communism, from socialism. And all of them go to great lengths to use Marx as sort of a bait noir, as, as sort of like the thing that the United States or the thing that the, the American political tradition is not. I don't think they could have written the American political tradition without Marx. Um, conservatives likewise. And so this is just a thing throughout U.S. history in which ever since really the middle to the late eight, 19th century, Americans thinking about their own history, Americans thinking about their place in the world have often used Marx in some fashion.